Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to Why Would You Tell Me That? The podcast where you ask that simple question. Why the hell have you told me this? Well, hopefully, Dave. Um, we do have lots of options, though, because people have been getting in touch with things that they want us to cover. We should say you can get us on Instagram. The show is at Why Would You Tell Me That? Dave is at Dave Today FM and I'm at Neil Delamere Comedy. We're also on Twitter and the show is proudly part of the Acast Creator Network. Maura was one of the people who got in touch and she said that she's living in Connemara and she wants us to talk about superstitions. She's come across loads of them and always wants to hear about more and how they came about. I might just have the person for that job. I know a man who was a doctor of folklore. So... We will definitely revisit that, I think, more. Thanks a million for your suggestion. But today is not about superstitions. We are going to delve into a topic I know nothing about, because that's the joy of this podcast. Every second week, one of us is in the dark. Today, I, Dave, am in the dark, and Mr. Neil Delamere is about to bring us up to speed with something very interesting, I'm sure. Yeah, today, I'm very excited. I've worked with this woman before. We're going to talk to Lara Dungan. Uh, she's a, a double doctor. She's a medical doctor and she's a PhD in immunology. And we're going to talk to her about some, I know, just... Double just doctor. Un, just unbelievably clever Imagine and erudite. That, yeah, that kind of Christmas, you know, where you go home and your granny's there and she's like, what do you, how do you do, Neil? You still, you tell the jokes, do you? I do, yeah. yeah. I was talking to your sister, you know, she's a double doctor, Neil. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. two doctors. You you tell the jokes, do you? <laughs> yeah, do you still, oh, where are you going? Oh, the international bar, is that? All right. Are you trying out the new jokes? Is, it? is that in a clinical trial? Is it? Is it a double blind peer reviewed study? No, you're just doing the jokey jokes, aren't you? So no, Lara is an extremely impressive human being. Excellent. Uh, and she's going to talk to us about EPO or EPO. Because you, you see it all, yeah, you see it all the time and you read about it in articles and uh, I thought we need to know about this and what it does. Okay, so as usual, because it's the first time I'm hearing the topic, EPO, my very pigeon knowledge is cycling drugs, blood, like something to do with blood in drugs, in cycling. That, that's essentially it. 
Do you think the double doctor might explain it better than that? Or would she just simply go, uh, drug, cycling, blood? Good night. I, th- I think that was pretty much her first year in medical school. And I think then they had some sort of Debs formal thing. But I think that's it, isn't it? Right. Okay, I mean, I'll, I'll ring her and tell her we don't need her. Okay, but I'm on the right page. It's a fascinating story and she will describe it much better than we we can. Okay. Uh, but then, then it kind of got me thinking about what it was used for and what it is used for when it's not used properly, obviously, okay. and the nefarious uses of it. Uh, so I started thinking about and got down the rabbit hole of um, cheating oh. uh, because it's associated with cheating, right? So today in part one, we're going to talk about two things. One, the worst or greatest, depending on your outlook, example of Olympic cheating ever. Excellent. And secondly, we're going to talk about are we the only species who cheat? That's a fairly loose term for cheating in the second okay, part okay. of part one. Have you ever cheated at anything, by the way? Um, I'm a pretty honest dude, to be honest. Let me think. Have I ever cheated? Uh, Do you want me to give you time to think about it? Yeah, yeah. Look, come back to me. I, I, I can't be, my, my soul can't be that pure that I, ha- I don't have a story of where I took advantage of something. So, yeah, let, let's have a, t- a, a chat about everything else. And then at some point before the end of the episode, I'll, I'll have thought of something where I did. Yeah, if you can do a Zoom background where there's a little devil on one shoulder and a little <laughs> angel on the other shoulder and one whispers something to you and you just go really red, that would be amazing. Okay, so worst, I think, and I'm going to argue this, it's one of the worst examples of cheating ever. I'm going to okay. take you back to, to 1912 when you were only a boy. Right. Uh, modern pentathlon was first introduced into the fifth Olympiad that was in uh, Stockholm, right? Right. And... Uh, if you, I don't know if you know anything about it. It comprises the sports of pistol shooting, fencing, swimming, horse riding, and running. So you remember you learned about Pierre de Coubertin, the guy who resurrected the Olympics in 1896. Oh, he also... Yeah, it. I mean, I never stopped reading about him, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> you were his first biographer, I think, yeah, I think so, yeah. In the original French. And he, so he resurrects the Olympics. He also creates... Uh, the modern pentathlon and it was his idea and I quote that it tested a man's moral qualities as much as his physical resources and skills producing thereby the ideal complete athlete so he was very invested in this okay the idea of this was that it represented a soldier delivering a message right so he would ride and he would swim and he would fence and he would run and he would pistol shoot okay and it was a courier delivering a message so it's kind of if you think about it, it'll be quite difficult to figure out what the events would be now, like typing emoji selection, tethering your phone as a hotspot. I don't know. I don't know what it'd be necessarily. Right. Fun fact. In the first modern pentathlon, General Patton got fifth place. As no. In, yeah. In the Second World War. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So he very much came first in the, uh, in yes, the Second in the World, World War. War yeah. So fast forward to 1976, Montreal Olympics. Boris uh, Anishenko is on the USSR team, right? He turns 39 in a couple of months. He's scraped into the team from Montreal. It's his third Olympics. He has won a silver, individual silver, but he's never won an individual gold. He's gotcha. won a team gold and he's going to miss the Moscow Olympics because he'll be retired by then, okay? Now, if he wins... It's USSR, so he's going to go back. He, he's probably going to get a better rank. He's going to get all the perks. He's going to get better mm-hmm. housing. He's mm-hmm. going to get better food, right? 8.45, he's starting the fencing. He fights uh, Britain. Adrian Parker scores a hit, wins. Parker maintains he wasn't touched, right? Oh. Referee makes a basic examination of the epes and declares the hit legit. He goes, hit legit. He does not. I have made that up, but it should be the new thing. <laughs> I, should, I should explain, by the way, that a hit... In an epic competition, right? It's only only one hit is needed. Okay. And they fight, for, they fight for three minutes. And if no one gets a hit, they're both declared the loser, essentially, right? But a hit is when the tip of the epi is depressed. And that closes an, uh, an open electrical circuit. 
by making contact with the two left, right. the, or the two wires that run down the length of so, the uh, sword into the handle, you, you, and then into a box. You often see them being tethered when you're watching the fencing, you know, and a light pops up or turns on depending on who scored so the point. It's effectively like ringing the doorbell on a sword. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes, that's exactly. Never write the next Zorro film. <laughs> uh, so, so, so he wins that first bout. Then he fights Jeremy Fox of Great Britain. Uh, same thing happens, but this time, right, when he scores the hit, basically, uh, uh, Anishenko's epi is pointing skywards, right? There's no way that the tip of it could have been, right. been depressed. There's no way. So, obviously, there's a there's a protest at this. Uh, this time, the hit is annulled, and the ref seizes the epi, summons an appeals jury to the piece to examine it. Originally, they just go, oh, he's going to be docked a few points. Sure. Right? A doctor's every number of points, and the sword must have been faulty. But then they really protest. The Brits go, well, this isn't acceptable. And they write a letter of protest, get the jury uh, involved. And they look at the sword, and a hole has been drilled in the grip of the sword. Ooh. And I know you love DIY so much. Yes. This is basically a D- DIY cheat. It's been covered by a, a kind of a, a cloth, and inside the custom-made grip is a metal button. And all he had to do is press it with his fourth finger and his little finger and it closes the electrical circuit and wow. turns on the light. So oh he doesn't need a touch and he's gone. He starts at 8.45 by half 12. Onlookers see him being escorted. He's disqualified and they see him being escorted out by proper KGB type Soviet oh, officials no, in trench coats no. and dark, dark hats. It's proper Cold War stuff. Completely gone. Yep. And one of the reasons it's it's argued to be the worst example of cheating is if you look at Thierry Henry or someone like uh, Diego Maradona and and handling the ball, it's mm. instinctive in some yeah, regard. Yeah, There's no way, premeditation, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. Or if you look at doping, Lance Armstrong, for example, would suggest that everybody else was doping as well and he needed a level playing field. Right. Whereas Boris Onyshenko, who was then called Boris Disonyshenko, which is brilliant, <laughs> right? That was the headline. They write themselves, don't they? <laughs> one who was premeditated... Uh, two was the biggest stage in the world because it was the Olympics. Yeah. And and three, it wasn't to do a level playing field. Not everybody. He could not go. Everybody else also had button in sword. He could not necessarily say that. I only so had the same button as every other fencer. <laughs> and at one point, apparently, he said it wasn't his sword. But he was the only left-handed swordsman oh, on the USSR team. So he couldn't get away with that. And I mean, if you think about it, you would think that somebody like Anashenko would have incredible, you know, hand-eye coordination and would know exactly when to... How to, to cheat. Yeah. Like, he's so bad at cheating that he cheated when the thing was pointed at the sky. Like, come on, Anashenko. Yeah, and went and made the lightsaber noise while he was doing it. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was actually bad at cheating. And he was yeah. an excellent fencer. A lot of people would argue that he actually didn't, he probably didn't need to do it. Okay. But he was under such pressure. So uh, Fox actually forgave him because GB went on to win the uh, team gold, I think. If he hadn't won a gold, maybe he wouldn't have been so forgiving. Yeah, I think it's easy to be gracious when you've yeah, won an Olympic gold easy. medal, all right? But a lot of people said at the time that the Soviet athletes and people behind the Iron Curtain were under such pressure from the state that they wanted it more and, you know, they could understand some of the motivation behind it. And ve- But very easy to demonize him at the time because it's the Cold yes. War and the nefarious, um, underhanded Russians and Soviets doing this and... You know, soon, a few years later, you got Ronald Reagan and ramps up that rhetoric as well. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, basically, it's, it's, is it Rocky? Which Rocky is it? Um, I, will break, I will break you with Ivan Drago. I think Drago, it's four. You know? Yeah, Ivan Drago. I think it's four. So 
that kind of that the narrative was established there. So, have you figured yeah. out by the way what your cheating story is? No, I've been too distracted by your okay. by your wonderful Anashenko story. But keep going. <laughs> okay, so, and you're going to really like this. I thought we can't be the only species to cheat, but also, okay. I mean, cheating is a fairly kind of broad church. Sure, I, I phrase it in that way. So, I texted. People will remember our evolutionary biologist, Simon Watt. And I said to him, what is your favorite example of cheating in the animal kingdom? And I got, and I quote a text back that said, that's easy. Look up sneaky fucker strategy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right okay. I can show you the text, right? It's also called uh, kleptogamy, I think it's called. Right? Okay. So some species like say red deer, the stag has a, a, a harem. He has all these hinds yeah. and yeah. he gets mating privileges with them. And sometimes another big stag will come along and challenge him. And if the other big stag wins the fight, well, then he'll get access to some of his hinds. Right? Sure. But what do you do if you're a little stag, if you're a little Bambi mofo, what <laughs> right. do you do? Well, if you were kind of a small, not very physically impressive stag, while the two big stags are big fighting, boys, yeah. you wander over to the hinds when they're, they're strapped. <sighs> And you go, Tommy and Barry are always at it. But who's attending to your needs? I'm why don't nice you and I? Guy. Why don't you and I go for a coffee and see where? Oh, I'm on you. And that's basically <laughs> that's kleptogamy. That's kleptogamy. Okay. And some species go even further than that. You're going to enjoy your next visit to the Phoenix Park now. I you certainly right? am. <laughs> I know what you're doing. <laughs> you're you're fooling no one, Rudolph. <laughs> Cuttlefish take this even further. They'll try and steal them, but uh, males will fight males for uh, access to females. Mm. And they're usually the ones who are the largest and most physically impressive often win. But the smaller ones, they go further. So they will change their coloring to have uh, female coloring. They'll hide the appendage that makes them look male. Okay. And they will sneak in and get by the guard cuttlefish. Oh, but no. I'm just, just one of the girls chatting to the girls and go over. And that it's, it's a reasonably successful reproductive st- strategy okay. and scientists actually genuinely do refer to it as the sneaky fucker strategy. Oh, so i can imagine that's the scientific term for it so the cuttlefish the the, the male cuttlefish who disguises himself as a herself will yeah. go into the protected area behind the velvet rope as it were and yes. then presumably reveal himself and go surprise <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've just found the next gender reveal party and up above that is cuttlefish, cuttlefish reveal party, reveal party. <laughs> yeah I've, I've got the stats for it so they were looking at the cuttlefish in spencer gulf south australia and scientists watched the behavior of five female mimics that's what they're called okay uh, and they found in 30 out of 62 attempts so almost half the mimics deceived the guard male stop the vehicle not that sort of guard male. <laughs> And got close to the females. And then the researchers used DNA fingerprinting to show that two of the mimics succeeded in making a female pregnant. Okay, see, now it's changed on Neil. Two out of 60? I mean, that's not exactly a great strike rate. That is like, I mean, that's not coppers. No. <laughs> that's, that's, that is not coppers. I, I, you should get a badge. I think we've just figured out our first corporate branding collaboration a badge says that's not coppers that's but not you know coppers. what is coppers and yeah. um, no but i suppose if if you didn't employ that particular strategy as the smaller fish you yeah. have no chance that's true so at least you've okay. increased your chances by adopting and i quote and i've just realized we're going to have to put that adult warning now on the podcast yeah. uh, sneaky fucker strategy <laughs> okay i have thought of my cheating story 
I'm slightly worried that what I've just told you has spurred oh, your memory. Yeah, it reminds me of that time in the aquarium with the cuttlefish. No. Um, <laughs> I am married to my wife because I kleptogamied in a way. Okay. So Please explain. Okay, so to those of you who are Irish, you may remember a TV show in the late 90s, early 90s called Too Fat. And there was a girl on Too Fat called Velcro Girl. Her name's Tracy. She's now my wife. Who else was on Too Fat, though? Because UK listeners will know. Oh, Zig and Zag. Zig and Zag. From the Big Breakfast, from Zig and Zag's MTV shows. Yeah. So those puppets had a TV show in Ireland. And this girl was on. And she was, you know, this she's called Velcro Girl. She had a black cat suit with Velcro strips on it. Clues were stuck to her. You guessed the artist from. Anyway, this is irrelevant. The point was, I was drafted in to do music for the show, for an Elvis impersonator. This was in the late 90s, so this was before you could email a track, okay? So I had to write the music, uh, arrange it in such a way that I could then explain to the Elvis impersonator what he had to do when the music started playing, and then burn the track to CD, because it was the 90s, and then, because I was working for the state broadcaster, what they could do is send a taxi to me, which would take the CD back to the studios where they could, you know, play, hit play, and away we go. I said to the taxi driver, do you know what? I'll come with you. This was on the first day. And I said, the reason I'll go is, it's a day out. I get to go to the studios. I might meet Zig and Zag. Who knows? Didn't even think about Velcro Girl for a second. Got to the studios, Hmm. met Zig and Zag, met everybody, had a great time. And I met Velcro Girl. And I was like, oh, wow. She's even hotter in real life than she is on the telly. <laughs> so then I had a quick five-minute chat with the Elvis impersonator and was like, yeah, cool, got it. I was like, you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I got it, man. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, that was all cool. And then I realized, oh, I should probably just go home now. But then I went, wait, if I operate a tiny bit of kleptogamy and I kleptogamize my time, then while... Right. Everyone's distracted making the TV show. I can just hang out with Velcro Girl. So I did. And then the following week, when they sent the taxi, I got into the taxi again. And (laughs) for week after week, and I know the producers of the show uh, were looking at me going, why is he here? All he has to do (laughs) is give a taxi man a CD. But I kleptogamized with that opportunity and I married the girl. And it all ends happily for you. Yeah, and now she looks at me and all she sees is a dirty cuttlefish. So, you know, <laughs> it's all swings and roundabouts. Dirty cuttlefish was my wrestling name. <laughs> now you see, that's a t-shirt we have to make now. <laughs> Actually, that, that's two things. I'm going to go off and send that email and we'll see if Lara Dungan has any suggestions for us to monetize this podcast, baby, in part two. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So welcome to part two, Dave. Uh, this is where I introduce you to our expert for this week. She is, as I said in part one, a double doctor. She's a PhD in immunology and is a medical doctor and has a newborn baby. And frankly, we are lucky that she's both awake <laughs> and able to give us this time to tell us all oh. about EPO. Welcome, Dr. Lara Dungan. Thank you, guys. It's so lovely to meet you, Dave. And obviously, Neil, lovely to see you again. So how old is newborn? She, she's not quite newborn. In fairness, she's a year. She, she's Well, she's about 13 months old now. Um, so we're going to have to start working on number two because, I mean, she's old now, you know, over the hill. Lara, be very careful. I went for number three and ended up with four twins. So, you know, anything <gasps> can happen. Just be careful. I, I actually feel sick for you. Frankly, not to hear that. Not how I expected to start this podcast. About, <laughs> I essentially have a child I don't really want, but I can use that. <laughs> But they'll never know which one you don't want, exactly. so it's fine. Exactly. It was a great strategy for lockdown because they always had a friend. Yay! <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, Dave's actually only 30. But look oh, at it. Yeah. That's, well, that's, here I am. That's, that's what four kids are doing. <laughs> Looking uh, well for it. Uh, <laughs> so Lara joins us today, Dave, uh, not only to make you feel good about your life choices, Wonderful. but also but also to tell us about EPO, because it's all over the news. There's loads of docs on Netflix about Icarus and all those uh, blood doping and drug PEDs and everything else. But I never knew how it was found, how it was discovered what it does, what effect it has. So uh, Lara's here to answer all those questions. So Lara, let's start with the basics. What is EPO? So, so EPO, or as the cool kids like to call it, EPO, um, is actually called erythropoietin. So it is a naturally occurring hormone. It's a protein hormone, and it's made in our bodies, um, primarily in the kidneys. It's made a little bit in the liver, but, but almost entirely in the kidneys when we're adults. 
And its job is to increase the number of red blood cells that we have in our body. Red blood cells have hemoglobin in them and hemoglobin carries oxygen around our body. Um, And as we know, obviously, we need oxygen for life and we are incompatible with life without oxygen. And therefore, without enough red blood cells, it is also incompatible with life. And, And when our oxygen levels in our blood go down, EPO is stimulated. So it's produced from our kidneys and it itself then binds to cells in primarily our bone marrow and causes more red blood cells to be produced. So it's very much a natural hormone that we need uh, to to survive. So if it's a natural hormone, then how come uh, it's used to blood up? How is it made that I can receive EPO? So it's really interesting that there are people who can no longer produce their own endogenous EPO. So endogenous is something that we say is made naturally in the body. Exogenous is when it's given to you. So people, for instance, if you can imagine with end stage kidney disease, so, so the EPO, like I said, is made in your kidney cells. And if your kidney cells are no longer functioning, functioning, you can no longer make EPO. And these people in the past used to have basically two options. One is lead a very, very miserable and short of breath life where you sort of had to sit in your chair and never move and never be able to do anything because you had the most minimal amount of red blood cells. Or they had to get blood transfusions and blood transfusions come with huge problems of their own. So it's not the kind of thing that you want to rely on. And, and back in the late 80s, um, over in the United States, they made what we call recombinant EPO. Recombinant is when you take the human gene and you can put it into cells of some kind, usually mammalian cells to make human proteins. And you, you then produce, these cells secrete this, this human version of the hormone. It's purified up and then it's injected in. And people can then get this exogenous EPO, which allows them to to become well again. But unfortunately, as with everything, I think before it was even authorized for medical use in humans, it was already on the black market and being used for doping. Okay. So uh, what was developed to help pretty ill people function at a normal level was immediately hijacked by by those who saw this as a way of becoming fitter, stronger, faster, or whatever it is, and having more oxygen uh, or more red blood cells, I suppose, but more oxygen being carried around their system. So immediately, that was the, that was the the decision of the black market was to take an unproven product and drug and go, let's do this. Yeah, and you know what's so funny? Even when we give it to people who need it. We never give them enough to even bring their red blood cells up to normal levels. So, so even people who get EPO still have slightly subnormal red blood cells to keep it safe, to keep their blood from becoming too viscous or too thick. When people dope, when people take this EPO, and like I said, they took it before it was even authorized. It's made in all sorts of places. You, you know, I, I obviously don't know exactly where people source their illicit EPO, <laughs> but it can be made in, in lots of different countries and people buy it. They can buy things that are like EPO. And when people use that, they use it in such an unsafe manner that they want to superhuman. They want their red cells to go up to way beyond what, what is normal and definitely way beyond what is safe. And just very quickly, if a traditional urine drug test would reveal the presence of whatever steroids or other things that we kind of know to test for, was EPO, was EPO hidden? Like, presumably it wasn't in a test. So originally, absolutely, yeah. Originally, they didn't know how to test for it. Now, um, tests are very much available now. They discovered a difference between the recombinant version and our own endogenous version that we produce in our own kidneys. There's a difference in charge, uh, 
which means that, you know, all proteins are positively or negatively charged to a different extent. And the recombinant one has a different charge. And so so now and since at least 2000, they've been able to, to test for it very well and very effectively. But it's like with all doping, people find new methods. So they started micro doping. So giving just enough to increase the red blood cells just a little bit, but so that it wouldn't be detectable. So, so even though, yes, it's detectable still in many ways, it's undetectable. By the way, if you do want to know where you can get it, Dave, I have bought both EPO and fireworks from Emmanuel and Yuri. <laughs> so you just tip me the wink. Don't worry. It's, it's red EPO. It's made for agricultural use. And, it, and then the, they wash, they wash the dye out. Of it. I know that. You, the guy you follow with the sign that says buy sterling here and it's just like a small cow shed down the road that guy yeah I know I know yeah it's the same fellow who has genuine diesel for sale with handwritten on a cardboard side yeah. marker he, he's the best man for for Epo. the best man uh, for the job in terms of its efficacy is it as effective as we're led to believe I mean it might be a silly it seems like a silly question but is there evidence to suggest that it massively improves your performance I suppose the thing is, it depends on the sport. Um, no, not for every sport, absolutely not. But for endurance and stamina sports, it's not going to make you a stronger person. But what it is going to do is allow you to do what you're doing for longer without fatiguing. So if you have um, aerobic respiration in your cells, that means your cells use oxygen um, to create energy then you're going to be able to go for longer than when you are forced to use anaerobic. When your cells get more and more tired, they use anaerobic, they start to produce lactic acid. Lactic acid starts to cause your muscles to cramp. So it is very effective in things like cycling and things like uh, Nordic skiing, anything that's a stamina-based sport. And the thing is, you don't need to be very effective in these kinds of sports to be effective. We're talking about seconds, you know, milliseconds sometimes is what changes someone's performance. And so to enhance your performance by, by even a small amount can be huge. And you can increase your ability to carry oxygen by 25, even 50% with these kinds of drugs. So, so even a small change can be effective, but the change can be quite large. I'm glad you mentioned skiing there because, Dave, in my reading of this, and obviously it's my job to open the doors of knowledge of to your bedroom of ignorance. It started okay. <laughs> it went down really badly. And uh, I really want Lara to tell you about somebody who is a Finnish athlete. And I got his name pronounced by ringing my friend. So this is his name. You don't have to pronounce his name. His name is... Eero Manturanta. Eero Manturanta. <laughs> he's, he's just confirming oh it there God. for you. Ero, Ero, Ero wow. Uh, so yeah, that's that's how little I have to do. <laughs> Look at you with your two jobs. Um, so Lara, Lara, tell Dave about who Ero Mantorenta was. Do you know, this is the first time since we started recording that my palms started sweating. So I was like, I don't know if I can say his name. And then boom, along comes your friend Hans to save the day. But Eero, yeah, and I will only use his name Eero because I'm not going to attempt That's that. That's totally fine. Eero was a, a truly fascinating man. So back in the 1960s and all the way up until 1972, he competed in all sorts of cross-country skiing events in the Olympics. So anything from 10K up, up to, to 30K and beyond. And he, in across four Olympics, I mean, really, he competed in four, but across three, he won seven Olympic medals, three of which were gold. 
And it wasn't just that he won. It was the manner in which he won. He won by such an excessive amount in some of his heats and some of his competition against other people that he was considered almost superhuman. Um, and at the time, nobody fully understood what was happening with Eero. But in 1993, a big published study came out of him and about 200 members of apparently of his extended family. And it turned out he had a natural mutation. Um, which gave him an added advantage. It's really important to remember that mutations, as a general rule, don't add advantage. So the reason we're not all X-Men is because most mutations mean something bad, mm. and therefore you usually die too young to have children. Not, not, to, not to, to oversimplify everything, but mutations that add benefit are rare, and they usually have a, a, a sort of a caveat to them. But with him, his receptor for EPO. So EPO gets produced in the kidneys, but it has to bind to something. So hormones are useless if they don't bind. They bind to the cells, usually in your bone marrow. And his receptors for his EPO were always on. Mm. They were like some, you know, terrible 70s porn star. It was always turned on. <laughs> I was wondering he where I heard his name before. <laughs> now it all makes sense. Yeah. His, his kidney had a big moustache. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And delivered yeah. pizza regularly. Dead right. And fixed, fixed so many broken photocopiers in his time. Um, so, so it was always turned on and he constantly produced more red cells than no people normally would. In women, you expect your minimum red cell amount to be about 11.5 grams per deciliter. I know those are kind of annoying terms, but if you remember about 11.5 is what you'd expect for women as a minimum and 13 for men. His counts were usually in and around 20. So not far off double the sort of lower mm. limit of normal. Now, it's very normal to be at 16, but he was up at 20. And it just meant he could keep on going. This guy was almost superhuman. Would he have looked different? Would he be kind of ruddier and would there be... He would have, yeah. I mean, the, you get these, exactly that, these ruddy cheeks. Now, I suppose it's hard to differentiate when you're already out Nordic skiing. So I guess it would have been... <laughs> it's a very good point. <laughs> yeah, but no, absolutely. That he, he essentially had a disease and the disease is called polycythemia. Um, it's a disease that we take very seriously in medicine today. And it's a disease that unfortunately kills people all the time. And overabundance of red cells is actually a dangerous thing. Now, he got away with it. Um, but he would have exactly signs, exactly like you're saying, like ruddy cheeks. Now, ironically, I believe he actually ended up doping. Um, and he was one of the first, I think, finished uh, skiers ever to be caught doping. Oh. But not, obviously, with EPO. He was taking hormones. So so it's a sad end to the if story. He, if he only had known that he could have made himself super extra, super bonus, superhuman. Exactly, exactly. Um, just one, one general question. Do you think, Lara, that like we should allow doping in sport now just hear me out for a second here right obviously it's dangerous to take steroids human growth hormone epo you know there's, there's so many things but they plainly produce incredible results so is there any logic and any argument and any justification ever for removing the rule book and going lads inject yourself with whatever you want for the next two weeks this is your pre-tournament you know open window do whatever you want, and then we'll see who can run the 100 meters in four seconds, and their legs will <laughs> fall off because they can't actually go that fast, or high jump four meters over the pole vault thing. Like, just see what we can do, and then go, okay, and now you, can, you stop now once the gold medals are handed out. Like, uh, there must be something in it. Before you answer that question, how much do you value being a current practicing medical professional? <laughs> exactly, exactly what I was thinking. So I suppose... Dave, my first answer is absolutely not. Right. No, but, but look, I completely understand what you're saying because the thing is, 
We all happily watch rugby, and I'm not talking about doping, but, you know, everybody knows about the concussive injuries that happen. I mean, American football leads to the most horrific long-term illnesses. We know this happens in sport and we watch it and we accept it. So I suppose what you're sort of saying is, look, what's the difference? What's the difference if people are doing it knowingly, doing it knowing they're harming themselves, but for the entertainment of others? Obviously, I'm going to say no. I'm I'm never going to agree that somebody should give themselves a medication that's known to harm them. But, you know, I'm not going to stop watching rugby and I'm not going to stop watching American football. And now, obviously, I'll campaign for for safer measures in those sports. But it's a really interesting ethical question that I have to say no to. But, you know, when we stop recording, we can discuss it further. (laughs) It's just that thing of like, you know, okay, like, for example, let's take rugby. Rugby is a great example. So I played rugby a long time ago and I actually gave up the first time a muscle bound because when I played rugby, yeah, there was lads who went to the gym, but it wasn't intense. It was just like, you know, I played senior cup in school. I played Trinity and, you know, it was just a bit of fun, but it was like, you were serious about it, but you went to the gym, you went to train and that was it. But the first time a number eight came off the back of a scrum and hit me and I realized he, this guy had been, you know, out in a cow shed, literally lifting cows his entire life, and then had decided to hit me. I just, I just walked away. I just quit rugby that day because I just realized yeah. the, the level of dedication, the level of physicality that this these people were able to bring to the game, I wasn't. And I suppose the bodies of rugby players now are utterly different from what they were when I played twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. And Yes, it's natural and it's gym and it's diet and it's intensity of workout and targeted workout and all that kind of stuff. But I suppose in a way, they've altered their bodies to achieve maximum output and maximum success. And while, yes, of course, we don't in any way condone any <laughs> legal uh, or, or unsportsmanlike behavior, there, there are levels of fitness, there are levels of natural strength. As you, we mentioned Iro a minute ago, who had this natural predisposition to produce red blood cells. But there might be a guy, you know, who Ty Furlong just might be naturally the strongest man in Ireland. There's an advantage <laughs> there. I don't really even know what question I'm asking. There's just there's something about. I know what you're asking. Go on. I also know that Annie Epio would have worn off in the length of time it took you to ask the question. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose what you're saying is, is where does the line, where does the line between naturally enhancing what you already have uh, versus uh, unnaturally doing it as well? I mean, if somebody's massively tall and they are played basketball, they have a natural advantage like Igro, right? But why aren't we allowing somebody else to dope to get to that level? Which is, not a question I would imagine that Lara can particularly answer. <laughs> or where, or where still? How do you how do you fix sport, Lara? Yeah. I know, I know. I mean, I suppose that's what you said, though, Neil. You said, you know, natural versus unnatural. And I guess that's the difference. Then again, there's all sorts of questions of gender that come into things, which doesn't any, by any means make someone unnatural, you know, but, but there's gender is very much a fluid thing these days. So it's about taking a medical risk with medical interventions that I just find abhorrent. And also, to be honest, overall, could we not just play it kind of fairly <laughs> i guess it'd be nice to see a bunch of x-men out doing things but, you know we don't have those so let's just play it fair where does apo stand alongside the effects of something like hgh or nandrolone or something like that i mean is it as harmful as those are they more effective thing with epo is that it, it can be unbelievably and fatally harmful if it's harmful so 
The risk is that you increase the viscosity of your blood. So you make your blood more like treacle than like water. And there's so much in there, what we call your hematocrit, which is the the, the percentage of your red cells versus the actual liquid or the serum in there, that it is so easy for you to get a clot. And a clot can be and often is catastrophic. So a clot, depending on where it is, can kill you instantaneously. Mm. There are a lot of stories from from um, potential doping situations back in the 80s and ongoing where slates of, of young men seem to die all of a sudden after potentially taking EPO. There's no actual proven cases, but um, there was a young 27-year-old cyclist whose wife came out after he died saying, I hope this is a good lesson for everyone else taking EPO. And, and that's the, the difference with EPO and other drugs is that, yes, other drugs can have side effects and, and EPO may never have a side effect. You may take it and you may be fine, but you may die catastrophically. You may have a stroke, you may have a heart attack and you might die, you know, instantaneously or in your sleep. And, and that's the risk. And it's what people f- feel empowered by because they don't feel these small side effects. They don't feel testicular shrinking or, you know, the, the, the things that people normally notice. And, and we are so as, as, you know, reasonably young people, we are so inclined to take these risks and think, I want to be at the top of my game. I don't want to be good. I want to be great. And we don't acknowledge that there is a one in, in, you know, whatever chance, depending on how much you take, that you could wake up dead tomorrow. You know, it, it's catastrophic. Life extension is a buzzword. It's certainly something I've heard discussed on lots of podcasts. And maybe, maybe Neil, we should do a podcast on it. But things like, you know, drinking tea at a certain time and only eating this type of food and sleeping with a certain level of oxygen. And there's all these things that, that seem pretty annoying innocuous in terms of what they do but when you're talking about say go back away from the sport and back to the people who actually need epo um and the difference it can make to them in as you said sitting in their seat being out of breath and not being able to do anything to living relatively normal lives let's hope anyway what about not necessarily epo but all of these things we're we've developed as as you i should say you guys have developed but, but we as a human race have developed to help people what about using these in in controlled ways for relatively healthy people to make people better versions of themselves even when they're not sick you know i'm going to give you such a doctor answer and i kind of want to slap myself for saying it but there's no such thing as a medication without a risk not even paracetamol You, you know the most benign seeming medications have got risks and i think that's the key that the first tenet of medicine is to do no harm and and it's not about trying to improve people, trying to make everybody perfect. It's about doing what you can without harming people. And I suppose that's where where I would come from, from a point of view of supercharging the entire of humanity with drugs that we have available, which I think is what you're yes, asking. Yes, it is. Um, but but <laughs> I, I suppose that the do no harm comes first, first and foremost for, for me, and I would presume for most medics, bar the ones who are obviously helping, you know, Lance Armstrong dope on EPO and blood transfusions and everything else that those people who have absolutely no morals have gotten involved in. But I think, yeah, like I said, it's the side effects that I would worry about. And they might be rare and they might be few and far between. But if you're the one in a million, you know, people are terrified about taking COVID vaccines with the most astronomically tiny risk of blood clots. And yet, you know, then there's athletes over there happy to inject EPO, which is just an obvious risk. You know, it's, it's just... People don't see the risks if they don't want to see them and they, they choose to ignore them. And then they, all they see is risk in things that have very minimal risk. Yeah. I think we all know that Dave has just watched Limitless over and over and <laughs> over again. 
And if there, if there was a tiny pill that I could give you and you, you would win even more radio awards, oh. you, I'd be handing it to you and you'd have just, the whole packet would be gone. You'd be snorting it with a Tesco club card through a rolled up 50 euro note. I think we know that. I just want to be a super radio presenter, man. I'm sick of being a human. <laughs> Start with caffeine. Caffeine's yeah, pretty good for that's that. Not a, bad <laughs> Go from idea. There. not a bad idea. One last question for you on this, Lara. Um, you talk about all these discoveries. How was Discover first? Who figured out that it is what it is and and it it comes from where it comes from and it does what it does? So, you know, a lot of discoveries in medicine, when you when you track back where they came from, they seem utterly barbaric. So, uh, you know, for instance, the gentleman who first discovered H. pylori, which causes stomach ulcers, he was so sure that they were caused by a bacteria that he drank a broth full of bacteria. Um, and he then eventually did get himself a stomach ulcer. And the kind of things that, that uh, medics and doctors and researchers have done over the years to, to find and forward human innovation is pretty barbaric. And so too is the story of EPO. And what happened was the stories of it being discovered as early as the 1900s, but the time it seems to have really been discovered is the 50s and 60s in the US, where they actually bled rabbits almost dry. So what they did was they, they took out uh, everything bar about 20% of the hematocrit, 20% of, of the cells into rabbits, and then obviously allowed them to compensate back up. And um, so as we now know, their, their kidneys produced EPO, which caused them to produce more red blood cells. And then they took this blood again from these poor bled rabbits and they injected large volumes of it into well rabbits um, without the cells in it to wait and see what happened with these well rabbits. And what they found was that their red cell numbers went flying up and they also produce these things called reticulocytes, which are essentially new red blood cells. And that's the kind of thing that, that we look at to see if people's bone marrow is still working. So it's incredibly barbaric, the origins of the discovery of EPO, but very interesting. It's a horrendous sequel to Watership Down as well, really, isn't it? <laughs> So let me see if I've got this right. They they got just like we're not excusing the barbarity of it, but let me see if I can understand the triggering. They they got these rabbits and by bleeding them, they essentially made them lacking in oxygen. They made them hypoxic. Is that the phrase? And they basically made these rabbits then that triggered EPO and their kidneys made all this EPO. So EPO was in their blood. Then they took that blood from those rabbits who had compensated gave to other rabbits who were well and they produced more red blood cells so they were able to say okay there is there is this hormone that i suppose they there's a something it, exactly or there's a something. something and this is and this is causing red blood cells so we know and we know it's in a response to the lack of oxygen and and, and it just goes from there Exactly. And then slowly, obviously, you take that blood and you try and discover what it is that's higher in one side and not as high in the other. And, yeah. and I mean, that, that process, like it went from, from the fifties all the way up until, like I said, the late eighties when the first recombinant depot. So it, it takes a long time to do these things. Not as long anymore, but, but a long, long time of, of hard scientific endeavor. Almost as long as it takes me to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> So we've learned Dave is basically living on the edge. That's what we've learned from this. We've learned a huge amount about EPO. You think um, you think in my Sports Direct mug that I'm holding up here that there's a cup of tea. But what there is here, guys, is liquid EPO HGH cocktail. And I have to say, I am feeling pretty good. If this, if this ends by Dave just taking a bite out of a really pale rabbit, I mean, I would be... 
<laughs> entirely freaked out. But I think it's a it's an amazing story, and I think Lara's explanation more than merits its place and her place on. Why would you tell me that? Don't you agree, Diff? Absolutely, Lara. That was fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Oh, pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks, pleasure. Lara. Cheers, Lara. <laughs> So, I mean, the double doctor did not disappoint, which no. is quite a difficult thing to say. Um, she, 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 she's very impressive. That thing you said at the very start about your granny being impressed by the double doctor. <laughs> I think you were right. And it's yeah. made me really look at my life choices. But I think I think Epo is um, well worth kind of investigating, isn't it? I had no idea of, of some of the stuff that you said. I knew about the, the Finnish dude, but no, but that, see, that does is- open those that. That idea that you talked about, you know, natural advantage versus unnatural. Yeah, and plus, I mean, imagine whatever it can do on the field of sport. Imagine what it can do in the field of stand-up comedy. Neil Delabere breaks record and does 17 nights in one night in the three (laughs) arena because he's got so much EPO in his system. In fairness, though, I've never had that in a review. I liked him, but you know what? I really thought it lacked thicker blood. I think that's the thing about this. Imagine, surely vampires. I mean, it turns like Ooh. all blood into a black pudding. Surely. There's well, one person from Clannacilty listening at the moment, <laughs> and they've just figured out a brand new craft product. Epo black pudding. I don't think I want any part of that. Listen, I hope you guys enjoyed Why Would You Tell Me That? I definitely said Why Would You Tell Me That? a couple of times, particularly when it came to cuttlefish and their sneaky ways. But, uh, Neil, wait until next week. I'm going to tell you how the world's most polluted city is planning to solve all of its problems by using mushrooms. Mushrooms? Do I have to wait a week to find out then? No, no, okay, I will, I will. (laughs) Deal. Uh, Don't forget, you can follow the podcast. We are at Why Would You Tell Me That on Instagram. Uh, You can also get Neil. He's at Neil Delamere Comedy. I am at Dave Today FM. And we would love it if you would follow us uh, as a show on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on. So if you can follow or subscribe or do whatever, it means you'll never miss an episode. You'll always be the first people to get your hands on the latest episodes and all the news to do with the podcast. So follow, subscribe, rate and review, all those good things. We really appreciate it. And tune in to us again. Again next week. Thanks, Dave. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.